Hello, and welcome to the Barley Snyder Legal Update Podcast. Barley Snyder is a full-service business law firm with over 100 attorneys practicing out of offices located in central Pennsylvania and Maryland. My name is David Friedman, and I am the host of the Barley Snyder Legal Update Podcast. I am a partner with Barley Snyder's Employment Law Group, focusing my practice on labor and employment litigation, higher education law, and business immigration. Before we get started, please, listeners, understand that the information provided during episodes of Barley Snyder's Legal Update podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice or as a substitute for legal counsel. If you have questions about your legal situation or about how to apply information discussed in this episode to your situation, you should consult an attorney for assistance. Welcome back, listeners. As I am sure you are aware, the coronavirus continues to wreak havoc all over the country. With the Thanksgiving holiday just a week away, Pennsylvania Secretary of Health Rachel Levine announced new, more comprehensive masking requirements and travel restrictions. Pretty much the entire United States has become a hotspot, and a recent study suggests that hospitals in Pennsylvania could run out of available intensive care unit beds by mid-December. Also, the latest and apparently most deadly phase of the pandemic appears to be coinciding with the onset of the seasonal influenza season, making it look like we are in for a bleak holiday season and early part of 2021. However, all hope is not lost. We see promising developments on the vaccine front with two drug makers having announced very encouraging results from early trials related to the effectiveness and safety of COVID-19 vaccines. But even if we are able to develop a safe and effective vaccine in record time, as it appears we might be able to, the question is, will people take it? Recent opinion polls suggest that between 35% to 45% of adult Americans might be hesitant to submit to vaccination for the coronavirus. And if enough folks refuse to undergo vaccination, that might prevent things from returning to pre-pandemic life. For businesses, as well as all of us, that would obviously be catastrophic. So with vaccines in the news so much, we thought now would be a good time to get an update about the law surrounding vaccination, addressing issues such as whether employers may require their employees to undergo vaccination as a condition of employment and what owners and operators of public accommodations like retail operations, restaurants, or amusement facilities are permitted to require from their customers regarding vaccination. To help us sift through these issues, we've brought in three veterans of the Barley Snyder Legal Update podcast, Marty Siegel, Jennifer Craighead Carey, and Mike Crescenzi. None of these voices should be unfamiliar to our listeners. All three have been guests on our show previously. Marty Siegel is a member of our firm's real estate and environmental practice groups. He is the head of Barley Snyder's COVID-19 response team and has decades of experience in both Pennsylvania state government and the federal government, having completed stints at the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection and the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, among other agencies. Thanks for joining us, Marty. Thank you. Glad to be a part of the podcast again. Welcome back. 
Jennifer Craighead Carey is a partner in our firm's Lancaster office who focuses her practice on employment law, providing counseling services to businesses navigating the myriad of federal, state, and local laws that govern the modern American workplace. She also defends employers in state and federal courts and before administrative agencies. Jen served as the chair of Barley Snyder's employment law group for over a decade. Most recently, though, she's been tapped to head up the newly formed Barley Snyder Crisis Management Team. Welcome aboard the Good Ship Podcast, Jen. Thank you, David. Welcome back. And if ever there had been an issue necessitating crisis management, it is the COVID-19 pandemic. Also joining us from Barley Snyder's Employment Law Group is Mike Crescenzi. As Don Rickles was to Johnny Carson's Tonight Show, Mike Crescenzi is to this podcast. In addition to being a frequent guest of this podcast, Mike is a partner in our firm's York office who, like Jen, frequently counsels employers and litigates on their behalf when they face employment law challenges. Mike also represents places of public accommodations and civil rights litigation. Welcome back, Mike. Great to be here, David. Never been compared to Don Rickles before, but thank you. I'm sure it won't be the last time. All right, Marty, you're up. Let's get started with you. Marty, uh, you are the head of our firm's COVID-19 response team, so I expect you to uh, have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the vaccine world. So give us the lay of the land about where things stand on the vaccine front. There actually is a lot happening, and as we are kind of immersed in a sea of dread about what this upcoming winter is going to be like. There is what appears to be very good news uh, on the vaccine front. Uh, we have two companies, Pfizer and Moderna, who are in the forefront uh, and have come out uh, in the last week or so and have announced very promising results on the efficacy and safety of their vaccines. Uh, they are looking at a 95% effectiveness rate on these vaccines, which hmm. is much higher than anybody reasonably expected and much higher than most vaccines out on the market these days for other diseases. So that in itself is a very exciting news and very encouraging news. On the dark side, these vaccines will not likely be available for the general public for a number of months. So it is not great news for the next several months. We will have to bear down and deal with this pandemic until these vaccines become available. So you're telling me, Marty, that I am not going to be able to be hosting a Super Bowl party in February for the 4-12 and 12 Eagles in the Super Bowl? It's more likely that the Eagles' role in this will keep you from hosting a party with them in the Super Bowl, but uh, you could be hosting a party with yourself and your pet dog, perhaps, uh, but don't throw away the masks, keep the social distancing up. But again, there's a light at the end of the tunnel here. And as I say, not only do we have these two companies vaccines that hopefully will be available soon, there's others. So there's AstraZeneca, which is behind. So there will be multiple vaccines, hopefully, out there. Now, what's happening is uh, Pfizer just today has announced that they will be seeking emergency approval from the FDA within days. What that means is if assuming the approval is given, the vaccine could be available in limited amounts, but not to the general public. There is going to be a massive effort to get these vaccines out to the public. 
I've said this before, people in the public health field constantly say this is vaccines don't cause the end of the pandemic, vaccinations do. So there's tremendous issues in getting the vaccine available. So the first on top of the list to get the vaccine will probably be healthcare workers on the front lines. Uh, the vaccine probably will not be available to the general public until mid to late spring or early summer. But right now we can reasonably expect that frontline workers, perhaps by the end of December, could start getting vaccinated. Well, I mean, that's I guess that's good news, but it's not uh, what I was hoping to hear as far as, you know, I was hoping we'd be able to spike the football and say, you know, hey, congratulations, shake each other's hands and we've beaten coronavirus and we'll move on. But it sounds like we've got a number of months ahead of us of continuing these mitigation measures of wearing masks and social distancing and washing our hands frequently. Um, but it does sound like there, the, a, a vaccine could be somewhere on the horizon in the next six to eight months where we would actually have people, members of the public being able to undergo vaccination. That's true. But again, I want to emphasize that there are massive logistical problems in delivering a vaccine to the entire country not to mention complications that may be associated with issues uh, related to the, the election and transition issues on having the new administration be able to be up and running and get this vaccine. Uh, the vaccines, all of them will probably require two rounds of vaccinations. It's very difficult to get people in for one, let alone a second, getting it to the right people. So there's still a lot to be done, but again, very good news on the vaccine front so far, but not the end of the story. Well, thanks for that update, Marty. Now, Jen, when the vaccine becomes available, I'm sure that many employers out there are going to want to make sure that as many of their employees as possible undergo vaccinations so that businesses can get back to operating in much the same manner as they did before the pandemic's onset. And that raises a very basic question. Are employers permitted under federal or state law to mandate that their employees undergo vaccination as a condition of their employment? So the answer to your question is yes, with some limitations. So there has to be a legitimate business reason to require mandatory vaccination. And uh, the most analogous example would be in the healthcare field where many healthcare institutions mandate the flu vaccine uh, for healthcare workers. Uh, we can also look to the 2009 pandemic preparedness guidance from the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which addressed uh, the issue of the H1N1 pandemic at that time. And there's suggestion in that guidance that mandatory vaccination would be permitted, again, subject to some limitations. So essentially those limitations are that you have to make reasonable accommodations for people who hold sincerely held religious beliefs against the vaccine and also for individuals who have disabilities um, in accordance with the ADA. So uh, in terms of individuals with disabilities, we can look to uh, CDC guidance as well as uh, US Department of Health guidance on the issue. And there would be certain uh, conditions identified, for example, on the CDC website that would be contraindicated in terms of uh, vaccination. But even if somebody has a disability and is unable to uh, get the vaccine, you would also need to explore whether there are reasonable accommodations available 
uh, to those individuals, for example, providing specialized masks, a transfer to another position where they're not interfacing, for example, with members of the public, uh, or even telecommuting. Uh, on the uh, religion side, um, you would have to accommodate somebody's sincerely held religious beliefs unless doing so would pose an undue burden. And that undue burden standard under Title VII is a different or lower threshold than we would find under the ADA. And by lower, you mean it provides the employer with a bit more flexibility than it does under the Americans with Disabilities Act? That, that's correct, David. And so a lot of times what we get into under Title VII on, on the flu vaccine side are employees who say that their religion prohibits them from getting the vaccine. And so what I would recommend that employers do if they're going to mandate the uh, COVID-19 vaccine would be to set up a process where the employee, if they're alleging either a disability or a sincerely held religious belief, that, that the employee would have to comply with some type of process where they would submit information and that information would be evaluated. Now on the uh, Title VII side, uh, with sincerely held religious beliefs. Sometimes we get into situations with the flu vaccine where people are claiming that they have a religious objection to the vaccine, but really it's a disguised objection to vaccines generally. You well, to be clear on that point, let's 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 talk about that for a second. That um, Title VII is a statute that prohibits discrimination based on religion, among other things, and requires employers to accommodate employees' sincerely held religious beliefs. Would um, anti-vaccination beliefs, uh, or you know, medical or political objections to vaccination, do those qualify as protected beliefs that an employer must accommodate under Title VII? Uh, no, they do not. So things like social, political, or personal preferences not to receive the vaccine would not in and of themselves be sincerely held religious beliefs. Uh, and so uh, what I generally recommend that employers do is uh, require the employee to describe their religious beliefs. Now, it doesn't have to be part of some type of traditional orthodoxy in terms of religion, it, it can be some religious basis that's outside of the mainstream, but they need to explain their religious beliefs. And you can also require verification of the employee's religious beliefs from a third party. Uh, you can't mandate that that be a clergy or religious person. It can be somebody who's known them, a neighbor, a friend who can attest to their religious beliefs. You can also ask them to provide supporting documentation uh, of the basis of their religious beliefs. And, and again, just like under the ADA, if you find that somebody does have a uh, sincerely held religious belief against the vaccine, you would need to look at how to accommodate them. And so that might be, for example, in the healthcare setting, requiring them to wear a specialized mask or transferring them away from patient care responsibilities or something of that nature. 
Well, that's got to be a particularly difficult thing for employers to have to evaluate when they're trying to determine whether an employee holds a sincerely held religious belief as opposed to a political or medical objection to vaccination because, you know, employers can't necessarily peer into an employee's head to determine what that employee really believes. And so such a, such a close, you know, fine line between those sincerely held religious beliefs and medical objections, that's got to be a, a really difficult uh, situation situation for employers to find themselves in. And, and I would think, Jen, with respect to the undue burden defense that, you know, it's going to be uh, the availability of that defense in a case where an employee sues challenging an employer's refusal of a, a religious-based exemption, that that is going to, the reasonableness of that refusal is going to be context-specific. So, you know, if you're operating a bowling alley, you might not have the same, necessarily the same um, concerns with respect to the spread of, uh, of COVID as you would say in a healthcare setting. Is that right? That, that's correct. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's important to keep that in mind for employers out there that this is a, con- a context-specific analysis. So thanks for that discussion. Um, you know, lawyers and other professionals have been able to continue operating during the pandemic with, with little disruption. Well, at least our firm has made the transition in a fairly seamless fashion. But businesses that operate public accommodations, such as hotels and restaurants, retail establishments, places of amusement, those businesses have been hit hard as mitigation measures have encouraged customers to stay at home and avoid large crowds. So Mike, you know, you've handled some cases in the past for uh, owners and operators of public accommodations. I've got to be thinking that news of a potential vaccine must be music to the ears of these businesses, right? Yes, David, I think so, because it certainly gives them the ability to uh, reopen more fully, hopefully, uh, when people have been vaccinated uh, or the government starts to lift the restrictions that are currently placed on the bars and restaurants. Yeah. So, um, Mike, what's going on out there in the world of public accommodations? I mean, I got to think, you know, one industry that comes uh, quickly to mind is the concert industry. You know, there, there basically is no concert industry since COVID-19 hit. What are these entertainment venues going to be doing with respect to the COVID-19 vaccine when that becomes widely available? It's an interesting topic, David, because we may see concert organizers require the attendees to have proof of a vaccine or proof of a negative COVID test in order to gain entrance into the venue. So for us locally, Hershey Park, typically has concerts uh, during the summertime, or we have football uh, uh, at the high school level or even at the pro level. What are these venues going to do? And can they actually require the attendees to prove that? Uh, It appears based on current law that private entities can require the attendees to prove that they either have a negative COVID test or an antibody test or the vaccine. Ticketmaster recently made the news because there was a report that they were going to require anybody who purchased a ticket to prove that they had the vaccine or a negative COVID test to be able to purchase that ticket and gain entrance into the venue. Ticketmaster pushed back after that news broke and said they are not forcing uh, concert goers to have uh, a vaccine. But what they have been saying is they are going to work with the organizers of the event. And if the organizers say to Ticketmaster, look, 
we want people to have the vaccine. We want to have proof that they're immune from this COVID-19. Ticketmaster is using some digital way of linking the ticket to the medical proof. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work, but given our technology in today's world, I believe there, it could be done uh, where when you go online and buy the ticket, it's going to link somehow to a vaccine ticket or some type of proof that you've been immune to COVID either because you had it and recovered and are immune or have received the vaccine. It's going to be very interesting. I think we're going to see, as we know in our uh, American society, people don't like those kind of restrictions and don't like to be able to prove certain medical information or, or submit medical information to third parties. But that might be required if you want to go see your favorite football team, the Eagles, play. Uh, not in the Super Bowl this year. You're going to have to watch my Steelers do that. But hey, we'll not yet. We're not out of it yet, Mike. So, <laughs> well, look. I mean, we've been talking so far about you know, in, in I guess public accommodations uh, who who want to be able to ensure that their customers have gone through vaccination or have been tested negative for COVID-19. Is there anything currently on the books with respect to legal requirements that would require operators of public accommodations to ensure that their customers have been um, vaccinated for COVID-19 or, or undergone a negative test? No, nothing right now. Yeah. But what we're going to keep our eye on is what the states are going to do. Uh, many states, as you know, including Pennsylvania, have issued mandates on certain activities. And they have essentially made employers the enforcers of the state mandates, whether it's masks, whether it's uh, social distancing and so forth. It could be that the states say to these employers, uh, these businesses, hey, you're going to have to have anybody coming into your store prove that they've had the vaccine or you're going to have to provide them with some accommodation. Like with grocery stores, you can't get in, but we're going to allow you to curbside service or something like that. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. I don't know how aggressive the states are going to be. It might be extremely difficult, as we have seen with businesses now, to enforce masks uh, if somebody comes into a store like a grocery store and says, uh, well, I, I have a disability and I can't take the vaccine. Yeah. How are they um, going to test it at the curbside exactly. location? And you're going to have store. that confrontation at the door or in the store like we do with masks. All right. Interesting. Interesting. Well, uh, this is it. Go ahead. Can I add something perhaps on this? Sure. Go right ahead, Marty. It's interesting to know what the role of mandates in the healthcare field traditionally have been. And this is drawing somewhat on my experience uh, working at CDC. Sure. Uh, the mandates imposed by the state, we really don't expect, for instance, the state to be using its coercive power with its police to come in and enforce mask requirements and any potential vaccine requirements. The more important role that we see with mandates is it gets the state behind an effort to get folks to comply with masks, with distancing, with getting a vaccine. Uh, there have been studies that have shown that where the state has a mandate for mask wearing, even though they are not sending their state police into every place of business, compliance with and use of masks increase. 
So the mandates have an important role. And saying that, again, uh, with the Department of Health recent travel restrictions, we don't expect to see the state police lining up on the border of Pennsylvania, checking every car that's coming in. But the hope is more people will comply and there will be better results down the road. All right. Well, it certainly seems like we've got a lot more to talk about on this topic. And one of the common themes that you've heard us hit upon during this episode is that much of the legal landscape surrounding mandatory vaccination issues depends upon the context in which that uh, mandate is issued. You know, what employers and business owners can or should do will depend to a great deal on the industry in which they operate. So good news for you listeners. The team here at Barley Snyder will be rolling out a series of webinars over the next few weeks regarding how to address COVID-19 vaccination issues. Each of these webinars will be approximately an hour in length, so we'll be able to delve into this issue with significantly more detail than today's discussion permitted. Moreover, each of these webinars will be geared towards specific industries, such as healthcare and senior living, the hospitality industry, food and agriculture, higher education, and also transportation and logistics. Keep an eye out for email blasts announcing these webinars, or follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter to make sure you don't miss any of our Barley Snyder client alerts, webinars, or podcast episodes. Jen, Mike, Marty, thank you very much for joining me. Until next time, listeners, stay well and enjoy your Thanksgiving holiday at home. I know I have a great deal to be particularly thankful for this year. Barley Snyder Legal Update Show